Our second lesson is from the second letter to the Corinthians, written by the Apostle Paul, the eighth chapter, verses one through nine. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this not merely as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us so that we might urge Titus that as he had already made a beginning, so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord, the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Almost 35 years ago, I knelt before the altar of my home congregation in Virginia and vowed that I would preach and teach according to the Word of God. And I have done my best these uh, three and a half decades to keep that vow uh, because I made them to God. I promised the Lord those things. I have striven not to preach um, pop psychology or the power of positive thinking, but the Word of God. So today, some of you might get nervous thinking I'm slipping into popular psychology, and if I do, then I'm sure you will admonish me between services. I want to talk this morning about happiness and joy, and I don't believe that they're the same. I think they have different sources. One comes from the world and what's going on around us. The other, I submit to you, originates from the spirit of the living God at work in our hearts and in our midst. So this morning, not as your senior psychologist, but as the senior pastor, I want you to think about the word itself, happy, happy. I ask you, doesn't being happy often depend on what happens And what happens, does it not, often determines our happiness. If people are kind to me, if things are going my way, then I'm happy. I might even be (laughs) happy-go-lucky. And if people treat me badly, if my situation becomes difficult, then I might become unhappy. I might even become an unhappy camper. But I don't believe joy in the Lord is dependent on how people are treating you or what's going on around you. Joy, according to the Word of God, is a quality of life that transcends, it's bigger than 
all the difficulties and disappointments in life that we all experience from time to time. Joy is a spiritual dimension of our life in Christ, and it is not finally determined by circumstance. Not too long ago, I was very unhappy when I learned that a dear friend of mine from school days had died of cancer, and I didn't know of his death until he was already gone. I didn't even know about the year and a half he spent battling that cancer in his last horrible weeks in hospice care. I was unhappy when I heard about Peter's death, but I was joyful knowing that he belonged to Jesus. And I was joyful knowing he was home with the Lord. Happiness and joy are not the same. Consider the Macedonian Christians that Paul references in his letter. They were severely afflicted. They were extremely poor, and yet they had abundant joy. Pop psychology doesn't usually equate abundant joy with extreme impoverishment, right? Does the thought of being poor make you happy? But even in poverty, there can be joy. Paul knew that the Macedonian Christians had it, and the Macedonian Christians lived it. Now, their affliction and their poverty were not because of anything they'd done wrong. This was not self-inflicted. As was often the case in the first century, their suffering was the result of Rome, because the Romans had discovered gold and silver in them their hills in their land in northern Greece. So the Romans did what the Romans did like none other. They conquered the Macedonians and claimed the land for themselves and took over the country. And along with this um, extended occupation came violence, persecution, and many hardships. And even in that circumstance, the Macedonian Christians had joy, for their joy was not dependent upon what was happening to them but their joy was based on the living God who was among them. What the Romans did to the Macedonians was not fair. (laughs) It was most unfair. But this did not rob them of their joy in the Lord. Sometimes joy escapes us. Sometimes joy eludes us because we have this worldly expectation that life should be fair. And I'll ask you, isn't life often so miserably unfair? It happens when a tragedy strikes. Some of you heard the news. Last week, my brother and uh, my sister-in-law heard some strange noises. Uh, My sister-in-law stepped out of the bedroom and looked down the hallway. That end of the house was on fire. My brother's legally blind. My sister has MS. Not very fair. Life seems unfair when an illness changes our lives and our future plans, when some unexpected disease is diagnosed. Why this? Why now? Why me? Why not someone else? What did I do to deserve all this? But when we grow in grace and we mature in faith, we understand that life in this troubled world will be filled with hardship and difficulty. And as Paul reminded the Christians in Corinth, Jesus suffered things that were unfair. He didn't deserve the cross, 
but he suffered the pain and endured the agony of crucifixion for our sake. And in that, we have a joy because he conquered sin and death. Now, even though the Macedonians were poor due to the Roman occupation of their land and the seizing of their natural resources, they were still generous Christians. Now, from time to time, I'm admonished, not because I preach pop psychology, but I'm admonished by some of you, and you know who you are, because in your opinion, Pastor Bruce doesn't preach on stewardship often enough. So this sermon is for you. Enjoy it. I'm preaching on stewardship today. And in fact, I believe I preach on stewardship every week because we go in peace to serve the Lord. And stewardship is not just money. Stewardship is service. It's the whole of life, time, talent, treasure. So I think Carol, Jerry, and I always preach on stewardship. But today, some of you like it when I preach on money. I'm going there. The Macedonians were poor because of the invading Roman occupation, and yet they were generous. But do you notice in the text, Paul mentioning the amount of their gift? Does he? The answer is no. No, he doesn't. Because that really doesn't matter. What matters is, first of all, they gave of themselves, because in authentic Christian stewardship, you've got to give yourself first to the Lord. And once you've given yourself to Christ, who's given his all for you, well, then time and treasure can start to fall into place. So this morning, I want to tell you about two Christian women, brave young women in their 30s, who gave of themselves in service to Christ and his kingdom. Take a look at their faces. They might remind you of some of your mothers. They were born in the early 1900s. Florence Hansen. Eunice Pike, they were some of the first women to serve with Wycliffe Bible translators, and ahead of their time, they went as single women in their 30s into southwestern Mexico. The year they arrived was 1939. They spent the next six years of their life learning all the nuances of the Mazatec Indian vocabulary, and imagine this, they eventually translated the entire New Testament into the Mazatec language. And like authentic missionaries, they, they, they not only lived with, but they listened to. And they learned about the Mazatec people. And they discovered some interesting things about their culture and their worldview. They never heard Mazatec Indians greeting one another and wishing them well, the way we do. Hi, have a nice day. God bless you. And they also noticed that the Mazatec people were very hesitant to teach others or share what few possessions they had. If asked, who taught you to bake bread? Um, those ladies said the answer is something like, I, I just know. Meaning the knowledge came without anyone's help. Over time, they learned that this attitude and this worldview was based on the Mazatec concept of what they uh, phrased as limited goodness. Uh, the people believed there's only so much good in the world, so much knowledge, and so much kindness to go around. If you teach someone else, you might drain yourself of knowledge. If you wish someone else well to have a good day, it means you might have just given away some of your happiness and you can't reacquire it. 
So over time, because they lived among the people and demonstrated their faith in God, Florence and Eunice were able to teach the Mazatec people about a God of limitless love and unbounded mercy. We can have joy because we know God's love is not finite. It's not in short supply. Nor is his ability to take whatever we offer him and do something good with it and multiply it. In our God, there is no poverty of kindness, but an abundance of love. The Macedonians gave out of their poverty because they didn't believe in limited good, but in God's boundless compassion demonstrated in Christ. So you've got the Macedonians, you've got the Mazatec people, and you've got New Mexicans. And you know that we live in the here and the now in a community in which some people only make a few thousand dollars a year, while others, even in our congregation, make hundreds of thousands a year, even millions. And a person who makes millions can be just as reluctant to share wealth as someone who makes very little, and vice versa. What our God cares about is generosity, and generosity is always, always proportionate. When a single mom in this congregation making about $15,000 a year told me with sorrow that she was embarrassed and ashamed that she could only give $40 a week to support the life of Faith Lutheran Church, I was so moved by her extreme generosity. In fact, her gift is far more generous than the person that makes $180,000 a year and gives $100 a week. You're smart people. You can do the math. But if you haven't had enough coffee this morning, I will do it for you. That single mom in our congregation is giving over 13% of her income, while the person making $180,000, 12 times as much, is giving less than 3%. I'm preaching stewardship. Jesus knows if we're greedy or if we're giving abundantly. And to him, it has really nothing to do with the exact figure, the exact amount of the gift, but the proportionate generosity and the sacrifice it represents. Now, some of you are wishing Pastor Bruce wouldn't preach about stewardship so often right now, but I'm doing it today. And I'm going to conclude with a strange illustration. Glad you finally caught up, Milo. (laughs) Don't sleep on me. Does that image make you hungry? When I was a young pastor in my 20s, I was summoned, along with all the other new pastors, to a conference meeting for new clergy. That was in Virginia. And all of us young pastors who were just so full of ourselves had to listen to this old geezer pastor. I'm sure he was already in his 50s. (laughs) Teaching us about, you know, uh, the ALC, the American Lutheran Church, uh, commitment to stewardship. And this old, elderly pastor in his 50s was the first person I ever heard use the example of ham and eggs when it came to Christian stewardship. He said, if you like eating ham and eggs for breakfast, then you can thank the hen for the eggs. 
but you really need to honor and respect the pig. And this guy was raised on a farm, and he said, you know, the hens really don't have to do a lot. They just sit there, and they make a contribution by dropping an egg. But you think about that pig. He makes the total, ultimate sacrifice. The hen gave some, and the pig gave all. And then he told us to go back to our congregations and tell our people to be the pig. That when it comes to our life, our work, our service, our discipleship, we should always do more than what's convenient. Just drop an egg every now and again, but be a pig. It's the only time I heard a Lutheran pastor making a comparison between Jesus Christ and a pig. But he then went on to quote verse 9 from our reading today. Remember Jesus, you know his generous act of love and sacrifice. Jesus just didn't make a convenient contribution, did he? For though he was rich, for your sake he became so poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Happiness and joy. I like happiness. I'd rather be happy than unhappy. And I hope all of you have some degree of happiness in your life from time to time. But most of all, I pray that you will have the joy that is ours in the Lord from Christ alone at work in your hearts and in my own. A joy that this world cannot give and a joy that this world can never steal away from us. And may the peace that passes all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord and until we have the joy of seeing him face to face in his glory. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.